And so if we look at things like, you know, technical debt and being able, not being able to do the things that we want to do, whether it's deploying new technologies, deploying updated tracking, having more robust integrations, we've, we've all seen occasions where the debt and the lack of maintenance has precluded us from doing those projects. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So anything else fun going on? Um, fun. I don't know, but I'm starving. I don't know why I was just thinking about food. Um, mm-hmm. Fun. I don't know. What are you doing for fun these days? Um, nice. We're, we're going to have a little bit of fun this coming weekend. Um, so we're off for Monday for President's Day. Oh, wait. Um, we have a three-day weekend. We have a three-day weekend, yeah. Oh, sweet. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to pick up the kiddo from babysitting on Friday afternoon and head right down the shore. And you want to talk about like small town stuff? We, we, you and I always seem to gravitate to this. Yeah. On our way to the shore, there's this small little cheesecake restaurant. Mm. And I've been passing it for more than 10 years at this point. I always say I want to go in there and try it. <laughs> and I just never have. So I'm like let's do it. Let's stop there and see what it's like. You know, it, nice. it's, it's in this small little town, one of the back roads on the way. So we're, we're going to, we're going to stop there, get a little bite to eat, grab a cup of coffee, take him to a playground for a little bit, run around. We'll stay overnight at my in-laws place down there and they get up and just do some stuff the next day and then come home uh, in the evening. And then Monday we're going to take uh take the kiddo to to the zoo for a couple of hours oh, nice. we have a membership for one of the, the the smaller local zoos so we're gonna take them there for for a couple of hours if the weather's good and just go see some stuff and then bring them home for a nap that sounds like a fun weekend and you're fairly close to the shore right like an hour yeah, or so it, away yeah we're talking an hour away so we'll leave here like at three o'clock get him and like, I mean, we'll, we'll be down there. Like we'll probably be at the one place probably by four, four thirty. you know, it's like, you know, we're not gonna be there for forever. Maybe we try to get to the playground by five and then, um, you know, you know, he's, he's, a, he's like me where he's in a routine. So if he's not in his pajamas with his cup of milk by six 30 to start winding down for the evening, he starts to, you know, he, he starts to lose it a bit. So, you know, get back yeah. to the house so we can get him in PJs and, and uh, watch a little bit of TV and then go to bed. Sounds awesome. Yeah. So that sounds awesome. Well, I'm thinking about doing some uh, barbacoa beef tacos this weekend. So that will be Ooh, my fun. That sounds good. So I bought, I've got a new um, ceramic Dutch oven uh, that I've just been looking for things to make in, and it is phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> I've been doing bread, which comes out so amazingly crispy on the crust is just like 
it's hard to explain how awesome the crust is, but the middle is like soft and warm and the outside is just crusty and delicious. And I've been doing like slow cooked meats uh, in it as well. So I did, um, I did a pork, pork shoulder, um, a couple weeks ago and and I'm going to, I've done, I've done a couple beef roasts, um, where I've kind of done red wine, beef, mushrooms, kind of classic, and it's been phenomenal, but I want to do some, uh, barbacoa and do some tacos. So perfect. that is, that That's is my awesome. fun for now. What, what I learned is we have a, a long weekend. Yeah. Nice. Um, so, that's, uh, so I really don't have a smooth segue into, to our actual topic this week, but I wanted to continue talking about stuff that we've talked about over, you know, I would say the last two months or so and something that you've really been, been talking a lot about. So continuing the conversation around the, the topic of sustainable analytics, um, but also from the, the perspective of, of data hoarders, we've talked about that in the past, mm. you know, the, the people that, um, because the the cost for collecting and storing data has decreased over the years and i mean i'm kind of jumping right into one of the causes mm -hmm. but because we we see that it's it, these days it's easy to wire up a new data collection point it's you know in your analytics platform it's easy to wire up a new custom dimension it's easy to deploy it you don't need to go through a major development project to do that and then from a lot of these vendors you know, it, it doesn't matter if you have 10 custom dimensions or 100 custom dimensions, again, depending upon, you know, if there's a subscription model, what tier you're at. But realistically, if you have 10 to 100, you're potentially paying just the same cost. Yeah. Um, very realistically, you probably are. And you could even have more than that. You know, many of our clients, they're paying the same cost, whether they collect 10 dimensions or they collect 250. So if there's... There are these barriers that used to exist in the past that aren't there now. So that drives this need to constantly over over collect data and just add to it. And then when it comes time to go back, either there's never time to go back and clean it up and deprecate old things and, and move on, or there's always just this need to, um, you know, no, we need to hold on to it. We may need this one day. That's right. You hear that a lot. Yeah, we may need this so we can't get rid of it. Um, so your big push this year has been, and I know I am totally rambling and botching this intro. Um, <laughs> you know, your, your big pitch, pitch this year has been sustainable analytics. Um, and it's actually started to resonate with some of our existing clients. Um, let's let, let's refresh everybody like what your perspective is and what on what exactly is sustainable analytics yeah so there's a couple of key pillars to it um and, and and you say you botched it but you you let into it quite quite well um the fact is that we've we've seen this shift in in the landscape of cheap cheap collection cheap storage and and you mentioned like it's the same it's the same cost yes it's the same cost from a collection standpoint, but other costs often go unseen. So what, what I mean from a sustainable analytics perspective is, um, do, do we have the ability to maintain it? That that's number one. And it's a, it's a life lesson I learned from my grandpa who, who would often tell me don't purchase something unless you're also committing to maintain that something that you're buying. 
And that's one of the things we don't think a lot about when it comes to, to data. And to your point and the argument being on the opposite side, well, we may need this one day. Um, and so we've collected more and more data. We have vendors who have made it easier to collect more and more data. Uh, and I don't think they're, they're, they're being negative in that approach. Um, also, just don't think we've thought about the long-term ramifications of that. And so to your point, um, we've collected more and more data, but we haven't thought about, well, what is it gonna, going to take for us to maintain that data? Um, so that's number one. And the second pillar is kind of this less is more um, approach that we've we've kind of been taking with, with so many different things is that instinctively we think that, well, more data is more valuable. Um, and while in a laboratory, in a clean setting, that may be absolutely true. In the real world, the real world is messy. And oftentimes more data is not more valuable. In fact, I would argue for many, many companies, more data is less valuable. Because what more data means is more unknowns, more mistrust of the data, more dirty data, uh, more dirty data that can't be cleaned up or is incredibly expensive to clean up. So we lose trust in the data. Um, so much data that we don't know where to start. And rather than figuring out all of these amazing things, we're not making any decisions. Um, what's my tweet? Should I pull up my tweet here? Um, so I, I did a, a collaboration um, where I talked about this um, in a public, publication that went out oh, a couple weeks ago. Sorry, I'm scrolling through my Twitter timeline here to find the tweet because I don't know if I really said it this well, but this is how it ended up in the article. So I said that many companies feel so burdened with data debt that they give up on gleaning any kind of decision-making power from frameworks that they're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for. And, and that's what we see, right? Is that even the most basic, simple types of um, decisions that we can drive from the, the data and the intelligence we're gathering from that data is being left on the table because we're so burdened with debt that we can't even make the most basic decisions. So really those were the two driving factors and they really go hand in hand for me as we started thinking about sustainable analytics is let's build something that we can commit to sustaining. Let's build something with a smaller footprint, but that smaller footprint driving a massive amount of, of value. And, you know, again, those two things go hand in hand. Your, your one argument that you, you said is the one we hear the most. Um, and in fact, I threw this out on LinkedIn the other day, and that was one of the things that I heard. It's like, well, you know, our, our, our vision is to collect everything because we don't know what we don't know. And we don't know what data we may need in the future. Completely get that. But I also understand and see businesses that have taken that approach and then when they need that data, what they've found is it's no longer actionable because they couldn't maintain the collection of that data. And so while to your point, it didn't cost them another dime to collect the data, it cost them a lot of money to maintain that data to the point that they didn't. Now the data is not actionable. So even though they collected it, it's no longer meaningful. So it kind of counters their argument. Why? So, so like, the question I was thinking of, and you actually framed it up perfectly for me, is why do people either not see or not recognize the, the maintenance debt that they're building up, the technical debt that they're building up um, as they're adding more and more? 
I think a big part of the problem is most people don't like to do maintenance. <laughs> I think inherently it's just a, uh, a thing that most people don't like to do. Um, I, I don't, I can't, I can't recognize that because I love doing maintenance. I love changing the oil on my Jeep. I love, you know, maintaining my, my things that I've purchased. Um, but when it comes to implementation, maintenance is just like this necessary evil that doesn't get done. You know, we all love building new things. You know, we all love getting the new Lego kit and like, let's throw this together. And that's fun and exciting. But after it's built, it's like, eh, kind of throw it in the corner. Unless you're Jen and you're excited about taking the pieces of that new kit and then adding them to your inventory and cataloging them and organizing them. Most people aren't like that, right? Like they get something new, they build it, and then that excitement wears off and it gets thrown in the corner and the pieces get lost and other pieces get thrown in there. And then there's like some weird candies and coin in the box and other things that aren't part of the Lego kit. And then you go to build it one day. You're like, wait a minute, I can't build this because half the pieces are missing. And I got a bunch of other weird stuff that doesn't even belong in here. Um, that's the approach we take with implementation um, is far too many implementers in this space love to open up that new box of Lego and build. But there's no desire to actually maintain it. So I think there's a fundamental problem we have with just the mindset of implementers that their job is to quote implement and that is build. We need to rewire that and say, no, implement is both build and committing to maintain what you have built. It's like anything else, right? Like you're a new homeowner as part of being a homeowner, you're making a huge commitment to say, I'm going to put in what it takes to maintain this thing that I, I purchased because owning a home is expensive, right? You got to maintain the yard and the house and what if the roof goes bad and then the plumbing and, but you're committed to maintaining it because you want to keep the value in that investment you made. The same approach needs to be there for analytics that you got to fix the plumbing when it breaks, you know, when the washer and dryer go out, you got to buy a new washer and dryer that, that maintains the value of your home. That maintains the value of your analytics implementation. It's not the new stuff you add to it. It's not the maturity that you add to it. It's the maintenance that really is the insurance policy that maintains the value of your implementation. It's almost like the the conversation we previously had, where we got we got we had the question about, you know, how do you convince you know senior management of the need to maintain an implementation? And I think one of the things I said was. We, we need to look at the word implementation from two things. There's verb, the, the verb form of it, which is the act of building, but then the implementation itself being the noun, which is your data collection foundation. And yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I, I was just going to, to, to say, you know, and the need to, you know, implementers, you, you hit that correctly, but I think others as well, because people do feel like there is this sense beyond just the implementers that an implementation is, is one and done. Yeah. And then once you set something, you're good. You don't have to go back and continue to maintain it. I think that's a, a really important point because absolutely uh, you can have the right implementer with the right mindset that implementation is of both the build and the maintenance of what we've built. But if we don't have buy-in for the rest of the organization, that makes it a very challenging job to have. Because you're, you're right. I mean, from an executive standpoint, excuse me, from a business stakeholder standpoint, um, it, it's hard to say, well, we need more resources and we meet, need more time. And they'll say, for what? Well, we have to do maintenance. 
you know, we have to shovel the snow. We have to, you know, weed the garden. They're like, no, 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 we don't have time for that because this agency needs a new tag deployed. And we have a site rebuilt going on over here. And this other marketing firm that we just signed up with wants to do an integration and we need to do that. And so, you know, there's always someone screaming for adding an addition onto the house. But very few people in an organization are screaming for let's ma- let's do maintenance on the house. So again, you're you're right. It's it's not just a fundamental mind shift that needs to happen with the implementer. It needs to go all the way up through the organization, because if that's not supported all the way up, it's easy to get overrun, and your your maintenance becomes deprioritized because we have all these other people screaming for new additions to be built to the implementation that tend to get our attention. Mm-hmm. As far as data hoarders go, you know, we, we mentioned the, the, the monetary cost uh, of, you know, having, you know, it, it decreasing rapidly over the last two decades, the, the ability to, to collect, store, deploy new uh, data collection methods um, as one of the things driving like the, this concept of data hoarding. Um, what else do you think could be could be driving that? What else could be driving data hoarding? Like pe- people that be data hoarders. Like I just need to collect everything. <clears throat> um, I think the other thing that is driving it is um, whether it's it's by design or whether it's just an offshoot. It's um, a lack of comfort with the activation of that data, and by that I mean that being a really really good implementer is is hard. Uh, because it's a lot less about JavaScript and building rules and tag managers and designing data layers and figuring out you know how to deal with all these browser concerns. That stuff is hard, no doubt. But what's harder is investing time in truly understanding what your consumers need of the data. Because you have to remember that as an implementer, you have customers too. And your customers are your analysts, your agency partners, your executive teams. And it takes a considerable amount of work and investment to understand their needs. You have to think like a product manager and you have to really understand what what are these people going to be using the data for and how are the decisions I'm making going to impact their ability to do their jobs. We see that very rarely from implementers. And I think what that has turned into is this, um, well, we'll just capture everything. And not to say it's the easy way out, but it's the easy way out, right? If I just say I've captured everything, then I don't have to do that hard job of trying to figure out what exactly you need and why. You've got it there. You go figure out what to do with the data. And it's off my shoulders. And I think that's unfortunate because I think companies that we've worked with that are getting the maximum investment out of their MarTech um, investments uh, have a very tight cohesion between their implementers and their consumers. And it's a... Uh, kind of a symbiotic relationship where they're both supporting each other and it's a two-way flow of information, those companies are really maximizing their use of um, their investment in in these very expensive marketing solutions. Have you ever walked into an engagement? And um, one of the reasons why I'm I'm thinking of this topic today is is the other night I was flipping around the TV and um, as I was going through an, an episode of Hoarders came up. Those, shows stress those are like extreme cases, <laughs> but like, you know, you yeah. walk right into the house. And you, 
Uh, oh, it stresses my wife out too. She's like, play, you know, turn it off. Like I, again, like as I come across it, you know, I'll watch a couple of minutes and keep moving. And I mean, those are extreme cases of people like who need serious help. And it's incredibly obvious right out of the gate that there's a problem. Have you ever mm -hmm. walked into an engagement and had the same kind of reaction? Like it is obvious they have a problem. 90% of the data here is useless. <laughs> Unfortunately, all too often. Um, and I think the parallel with the show Hoarders, what is that on A&E? Um, I think it's A&E, yeah. It's fascinating, but it's also like so stressful. It's, it, it's sad. Like it it's, is, it's it really, is. really sad. It is. And one of the sad things about it is it's, it's a psychological condition and there's something underlying it that needs to be addressed. And the, and the sad thing is, is that, um, and the parallel to draw with, you know, um, hoarding data is that they, the hoarder often doesn't recognize that there's a problem. And that's why on, on hoarders, do you, it's, it's a family member or others that are kind of staging an intervention, right? It's, it's typically not the hoarder that's reaching out to the expert saying, I need help. I need psychological help. I need help actually cleaning up my home. It's, mm -hmm. it's a family member, right? Um, it's a spouse, it's a mom, it's a brother, and, and that, and that's a lot, there's a, there's a very strong parallel to, to the data world in that, that oftentimes people, um, don't see it as a problem. And not only do they don't see it as a problem, they're proud of their hoarding. Look at all this data we have, you know, mm. I can't see my kitchen table. I haven't done dishes in three years because the sink is piled full of stuff. That's not dishes, but look at all this stuff I've amassed, right? Like they're proud of it. And, and I think that that's, that, that absolutely needs to be, um, addressed and, and recognize that there is a problem here and it's not necessarily the amount of stuff, but it's the approach that you've taken. It's disorganized. It's dirty. It's a health hazard. It's dangerous. Um, and, and that discussion needs to be had. And, and sometimes that's really, really difficult especially if they've convinced themselves that it isn't a problem, especially if they've convinced themselves that they're not wrong. You know, just think if you've ever watched many of those episodes of hoarders, it's, it's a fight. You know, it's like almost mm -hmm. getting someone into drug treatment. Like I don't have a problem. What are you talking about? I don't need them. Everything's fine. Mm -hmm. And you need to help articulate, um, at a way that they can understand. It's like, this isn't fine. You know, this is actually dangerous. You know, I was sitting in a meeting with the CMO that was quoting numbers from your implementation that are blatantly wrong to shareholders. Doesn't that concern you? Concerns me. So it's dangerous, right? Like not only is this unsanitary and unsightly and it just isn't comfortable to live in, this, this truly can be dangerous. And we have a responsibility as implementers to make sure that the data that our consumers are using um, is as clean as it can be, um, is telling the right story. And oftentimes, again, thinking of this bifurcation between implementation and how the data is being used is a huge problem. We have to realize this is, we're, we're not just playing like a game, you know, we're not just building something to build and say, oh, that was fun. I populated a variable. <laughs> you know, these companies are investing millions of dollars fully loaded to make these things work. And the data is being actually used, right? Like that's the idea that we're not just again collecting this to say, oh, that was, we have an implementation. No, we're using it. We're talking to shareholders. We're talking to CEOs. We're talking to investors. We're talking to the market. We're making decisions on what products to buy. Like this is serious. We have to take this serious. And I think all too often because there's been that 
historical disconnect between doing an implementation and why we're even doing this um, is, is a huge, huge part of the problem. And there needs to be, again, a fundamental shift in the mind of an implementer that what they do is much more than pushing a new rule out in a tag manager. It affects mm. the real world decision making. It affects the cost that the business is incurring. There's, there's a lot you need to be thinking about. So do you have kind of like a, a rule of thumb? Um, because I've been thinking about this, this topic, cause there's a couple of clients I'm really pushing to go through like a, a, a serious cycle of, of spring cleaning mm -hmm. of, of maintenance of really cleaning stuff out and identifying where there is redundancy just because say over the last year, year and a half, we've been heads down on some major projects. It's like, let's go back and identify where there's redundancy, where we can consolidate and really pare down stuff that's not being used uh, anymore. Um, do you have a rule of thumb of like when, you know, how much is too much data? Yes. Like, yeah. is there kind of something like it's a red flag, like you need to watch out for this? Yeah. And it's not volume uh, because some companies can have a massive amount of data and it'd be perfectly fine. Some companies can have a very little amount of data and it could be too much for them. So, I, you know, the rule of thumb isn't about the size of the data you're collection, collecting or the number of data points. But again, my measure of it is your ability as an organization to maintain what you're collecting. And for me, there is no bigger indicator um, of that than documentation. And, and that... 99, 999 times out of a thousand will tell the story. And, you know, we kicked this off before we started recording. You and I were talking about the use of Notion. And I'm talking about how I've been using it more to organize my life and keep track of things in my house. And so if I came to you, Jim, and said, okay, I know you purchased, you know, whatever this new purchase was, um, you purchased an ATV so you can go drive around on the beach and you're beach buggy um, and it broke down. Do you know where your warranty information is? Do you know where and you're like, well, I think it's in the junk drawer with like 5,000 other bills and like some note cards and some string and crayons. I'll sit in there somewhere. <laughs> Let me go dig for it. Right. That's an indicator of like how much time you've put in like organizing the things that you've bought. And, and that's, that's how I approach it from a data perspective is I will ask companies if, if a data point broke or I wanted to know why you're collecting X, what would you tell me? Would you say, oh, well, that's easy. If you go to our wiki and look at this, it has a full set of documentation for why we did this, when we made changes, where its current state is. Or if you said, well, like I think some guy four years ago made that decision. And I, I think I had an email about it somewhere. I can look in my inbox, but I can't really remember. To me, that's, that's the, the deciding factor. You've done more than you're able to maintain. Because if we can't slow down enough to properly document why we're doing it, but more importantly, uh, because I think companies do a decent job of documentation during the build process. You know, we all have our solution designs and our variable maps. How many of them are up to date? Probably close to zero. Mine. Right. Yours are up to date. <laughs> But most are most aren't right because no, you're we right, do yeah. it. We do it once when we when we build because that's the exciting part, and then we forget about it. But just like an implementation, documentation has to be a living thing, and it is a a perfect measure of how much you're focusing on maintaining what it is you're building. And if you're not documenting it, and you can't point to me to say, "Go look at this. This will explain it." You're collecting more data than you have because you're not investing enough time 
in maintaining and documenting what it is that you do have. And that, that is, I mean, that's not going to work in all occasions. I'm sure there are some implementations where they have really crappy documentation and it's, it's completely fine. But if you're looking for a rule of thumb, that's it for me. If your documentation is up to date and I can walk in and understand it, then you're, you're, you're collecting enough data. You're not collecting more data than you can maintain because I can Mm -hmm. see that you're maintaining it and documenting it well. Mm -hmm. No, that that's great. And it, it leads me into uh, a question that we can you know, use to start to, to wrap up. So we've sure. identified the problem. We've identi- identified causes of it. We've d- identified, you know, things to resolve it. Um, the last piece is, is how do you convince others, uh, you know, to move forward with a resolution? So say you do get someone on board, whether this be, be as some kind of consultant that is going to a stakeholder or, you are going to your senior management for the time that, you know, to make the argument for the time to invest in, in doing this. How do you, how do you make the argument for the time to do that? Uh, I mean, I think the easiest way is to monetize it is to, is to quantify it Um, is to say, well, if we don't maintain it, what is going to be the cost to the business? Um, And, I think that is is definitely challenging, but it's something I think the work has to be to be done. And so if we look at things like, you know, technical debt and being able not being able to do the things that we want to do, whether it's deploying new technologies, deploying updated tracking, having more robust integrations, we've we've all seen occasions where the debt and the lack of maintenance has precluded us from doing those projects. But very little uh, has been done to actually raise that up and say, and here's why, and tie it to maintenance, right? It often gets just pushed to the corner. We don't do any kind of a due diligence to say why. So we need to pull up those scenarios and say, you know, CMO, remember when you wanted to do X and we couldn't? Well, this is why. And had we invested 25% of our time in maintaining our implementation, it would have been so much easier for us to do that project for you. But we couldn't. The project fell through. It, it needs to be something tied with the executives. So whether it's specific projects they want to do, whether it's specific maturity points they want to get to, whether it's data that they can use and trust, um, we need to tie their usage of that platform with the ability to, to maintain that platform. And if we can put some monetary figures on it, which I think is challenging, but if we could, I think that would be very compelling. Uh, because we often complain about technical debt. We complain about data hoarding and it hampering our ability to do work. Um, we complain about having to like do maintenance, but having to maintain a broken implementation. But we don't quantify it. We don't put it in numbers and say, you know, last year we spent over 50% of our time fixing things that were broken because we didn't properly maintain them. Half of our time. That means we couldn't do A, we couldn't do B, we couldn't do C. You know, we had excess in employee costs because of that. So to me, I think that that's what really needs to happen is it needs to be quantified. It needs to be tied to outcomes and the lack of ability to to drive outcomes. Um, And it needs to have a pain, right? Because if it's just a frustration from an ownership standpoint and there's no pain, then it's never going to change, right? But if the CEO feels pain, if the CMO feels pain, something is going to change. Um, and so the pain is there. Our job is just to help them recognize it and say, you know, that pain that you're feeling, it's because we're not maintaining our implementation. We can make that go away, but here's the plan that we have to put out and prioritize in order to make that happen. 
hope that makes sense. No, no, it's it's perfect. Um, and I I think it's it, it's a good way. Like, what, what do I want? What do I want to say? It's yeah, I like the fact that like, sometimes you just need you know them to to, to feel the pain. Like they, yeah. they need that. And they're, and again, they're already feeling it. They just don't know where it's coming from. It's our job mm-hmm. to help them understand, like, this is why you're in pain and we can mm-hmm. fix it, but maintenance needs to be a priority for us. Mm-hmm. So, sorry. No, 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 it's good. I'm trying to think of, is there anything else? Like today was kind of like one of those, those quicker, quicker episodes. I think it's a good runtime. Um, yeah. But no, I mean, I think, I think that's it. I think from, from a listener standpoint, it doesn't matter if you're an implementer or not. I I think there's some very valuable things you can take away from this, this conversation. Um, And that is number one, if we're, if we're collecting something, we have to commit to maintaining it. Uh, Number two, this is not just the role of the implementer. This needs to be implementer analyst working hand in hand to, to make this happen. And number three, we need buy-in from the organization. And the only way to get buy-in from the organization is to be transparent with them um, on why this is important. Quantify the impact. Quantify the the pain that they're feeling now that is coming from a very specific thing that we can address. But in order for that to work, we needed their help and that that some of our time needs to be carved off. And then and we need to look at it as a buy decision because again, you I think you framed it really great to kick off the conversation that we can collect another dimension or another metric. And from a collection, from a storage standpoint, it doesn't cost us another dime, but what we need to change our mindset and say, that's not the full story. Every new thing we collect adds costs. It adds costs to our engineering team to maintain code. It adds costs to our implementation team to make sure it's, it stays up to date. It adds costs to our analyst team to wade through more data. Um, I think that's probably the most important discussion that I would love people to take away and take back into their own organizations and say, how much does it truly cost us to add more data? You know, how much harder does it make our analyst job? How much harder does it make our engineering team's job to maintain the implementation of the, the data layer? How much harder does it make our implementers job to make, make sure that that data stays up to date with every new site release? It's mm-hmm. a conversation we rarely hear happen and I would love to see happen more and more in companies. That's perfect. Yeah, so I think that is actually a really good spot to wrap up. Awesome. Good conversation. Yeah, no, this is fun. And this is definitely something I think I don't want to have the same conversation over and over again, but it's a good topic to revisit. And I sh- we should yeah. reach out to a few other folks to get get their opinions on Agreed. as well. Try to get, get Agreed. some other people on to uh to, to to get their perspectives because I think it's just a, I think it's just going to be something that is going to continue to happen. Um and yeah. I think it also, it just leads to what we've talked about before with, you know, as people change jobs, change positions, they come in and, and tear, tear down, rebuild. And I think this is all part of that vicious cycle as well. Agreed. Agreed. Cool, cool man. Right. Well, this has been fun. So we'll go ahead and wrap up from now and catch everybody later. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com.
33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.